0: The following has been brought to you by SJP World Media. My laptop's just flashed up in the corner, then panicked me a little bit because it's a sign that I've not seen before. It's, it's had an update and it keeps. It's like, fully charged. Yeah. <laughs> well, it tells me the weather, but it tells me the weather right now. Yeah, I've got a, I've got a little triangle with a, a like a cloud in yeah, it and mist. Yeah, it pops up and it says. It's now foggy outside. It's like, I know, I've got windows. <laughs> so it, it's now raining. It's like, again, I know. But this one, it's a yellow thing with a funny swiggle in it. And it's telling me the A38 has got construction works on it. So it's good, to, go that know. Way, it's good to know somebody
1: who doesn't drive. Exactly. Yeah. Well, uh, I've, I've, mine's just changed to a cloud. And for some reason, the sun's red. So mine's. Basically, if, if you're Superman, you're going to be fucked because Superman can't lose his power under the red sun.
0: Oh, does he? I don't know that. I don't know
1: why I know that either. I thought it was
0: just kryptonite that um... No, they
1: had there to write in other weaknesses because otherwise he's just the most overpowered, bland dickhead.
0: Mm. I never really liked Superman. Because he's an overpowered, bland dickhead. Yeah. Like the old black and white ones that they used to show on Channel 4, didn't they? Um, this is probably going back a little bit maybe i I was like single digits so you probably weren't born yet so (laughs) definitely wasn't on channel four or was it bbc2 or whatever on a sunday morning they used to show like land of the giants and the time tunnel and and then the old black and white flash gordons and all that sort of stuff and and the old supermans and the old black and white supermans i quite enjoyed when i was a kid but now i'm just like yeah this is shit in it
1: Speaking of black speaking of stuff in black and white that you're probably gonna think is a bit shit. <laughs> yeah, should we start with <laughs> <talking? laughs> It's a shame that, that segue is either gonna be lost or just consigned to the outtakes
0: Yeah. <laughs> oh dear. Right, okay. We shall begin, shall we? Shall we talk about Doctor Who?
1: Well, yeah, seeing as you're doing your very
0: best to avoid talk. <laughs> uh, okay, no worries. You ready? You froze. Oh, you're back now. <laughs> what? what
1: you we finally get to it. Shall we? Shall we talk some Doctor Who? And my internet fucks off?
0: <laughs> even the even the internet gods don't want us to talk about this. <laughs>
1: the, the best thing is you're gonna have to like splice this in before the like before the intro or something just to
0: make it make yeah. Sense. makes sense. Hello and welcome to the Doctor Who pod with Si and Dan. I am Si, and joining me, as always, as we look at a William Hartnell story, is Dan. How are you doing, my friend?
1: Oh, doing good, mate. We've just been having a a little bit of a little bit of a chuckle because we've had a little bit of preamble, a bit of pre-chat, you know, catch up, and even my internet doesn't want us to start talking about this. <laughs> oh,
0: mate. It's uh, for, for those, you know, listening, just so you're all aware, you'll be able to tell by the title of the episode, of course. But for those who haven't seen the title of the episode, we are looking at the William Hartnell two parter, The Edge of Destruction from 1964. Incidentally, first broadcast, uh, well, it's a two parter. Episode one was the 8th of February, 1964. Episode two was the 15th. So it's 59 years to the week of this episode of our podcast coming out, Dan
1: we are such professionals and this was an intentional pick it was in no way completely fucking accidental and it definitely didn't only come about
0: because we we, we fucked our release schedule because christmas <laughs> i only realized uh, literally well we were recording and i asked you didn't i like before we actually started the episode on our sort of pre-record as people call it i guess i said when's this episode coming out
1: <laughs> yeah. and, I, and i got that wrong initially <laughs>
0: yeah so this could be coming out on the 59th anniversary of the show originally airing or it
1: could could not it could be coming out on the 59th of february (laughs) (laughs) exactly Uh, but anyways i i I think i said at the time i chose the edge of destruction because it i didn't know how much of it still survived and it turns out quite a lot of it as we'll get into but i just want to throw it out there now wasn't it nice just to have a a little two-parter just to just to ease us in after the uh, after hey, last week.
0: It really was. I, I literally I woke up this morning, um, and in my head, I'm thinking I watched the episodes as close to recording time as possible. Because as we all know, my memory is shocking. So I thought, I make my notes and, and all this. I have seen this before, but it was quite a long time ago. So I left it. I went downstairs, did a bit of housework and all that. And I thought, oh, I'll, I'll go watch that bit of Doctor Who now. thinking, it's going to take me less than an hour to get through. It was great.
1: Yeah, you know, when when you put the thought into your picks and stuff like that, it can really work well.
0: I honestly, I would still rather do more games again than this. <laughs> um, <laughs> the basic gist of this episode then is we have uh, the, the, the the Tardis crew, I guess. We have the Doctor, we have Susan, we have Ian, and we have Barbara, and it's those four in the Tardis for the two parts. Uh, reason being, this was done very much as filler. For the series and they'd as always you tend to hear this quite a bit with classic who and the production and so on they'd run out of money so they made this uh two-parter to fill the episode uh, to fill the serial out when extra episodes were commissioned they were normally given roughly on average two thousand five hundred pounds per episode to cover everything in this era this they did for closer to a grand so they saved quite a bit of cash there. Uh, but that was the whole premise of it being just in the TARDIS and just with the normal crew, so to speak.
1: Yeah, and you can tell that, but and I know we are going to have you know a little bit of fun with this because then there is you know, a fair bit to to get our teeth into and have a laugh at, but I think they actually did quite well. Yeah, at, yeah. Um, this sort of, it made me think of, of episodes in sort of the tenant era, like midnight, um... Or there was a, there was an episode with Amy and Rory in the TARDIS. It was um, the Doctor's, the Doctor's wife, I think it was called, where they put the consciousness from the TARDIS, and it was replaced by something else. And it was a lot of it was just Amy and Rory roaming the corridors and trying to figure out what the hell was going on. Right. Um, so I quite like a lot of what goes on here, where it's you know just sort of talking about it loosely before we get into it, where it's a lot of. Misdirection and confusion, and, and not knowing who to trust, and, and a bit of mystery as to what's going on. I th- there's there's a lot to mock, but I think there's a fair bit to like as well.
0: Yeah, I think so. I, I mean, I'm going to laugh a lot at this. Just just you know, for transparency, before we uh, proper dive into it, I'm going to laugh a lot at this. I'm going to take the mick out of this a lot. Yep, same. But but it's still Doctor Who. I still enjoyed it. It's just it's very much of its time. You know, it's 1964, for growing out loud. It's the best part of 60-year-old television. The acting yeah. is a certain way. The production is a certain way. The story itself was written in less than two days to fill this two-episode uh, void out, and you can kind of see that, that that may be the case because there are certain moments that, well, the, the conclusion of the plot, for example, <laughs> is very quickly sort of dropped into the story. It's, it's you know, certain aspects of it don't seem to be given masses of thought, whereas others probably pan out a bit better, I think, Dan. Yeah, they do. I th- but I, th- I
1: think as well, I was sort of an ideal person to watch this because I watch a lot of horror films. So I'm very used to, like, clocking things in the background and trying to figure out what's going on and, you know, things being a little bit spooky. Mm. So I was I was looking for things that were there and almost, to use a wrestling parlance, working myself into a shoot. Okay. <laughs> um, thinking... Like we'll come to, but I I swear to God, that water machine and the the thing that dispensed food, i swear that was moving around, like not not in the same place every time. Otherwise, they were just using really weird camera angles. Right, perhaps they got more than one. (laughs) But that's the thing—I thought that as well. But it it was never it was never shown to be that way. No, that's true. So I was like, I was like, is it going to be some daft? I was kind of really hoping that there was going to be some sort of malevolent intelligence or, or like a transformer being or something in the in the water dispenser. <laughs> you know, something like that. Or like, um, do you remember Amy's Choice, the Matt Smith episode yes. where they were yes. alternating between two realities? And it turned out it was this these like psychic spores. That were creating all of that. I wondered, they spent so much time talking about water early on. I wondered if it was going to be something that contaminated the water or something like that. Right, okay. So, yeah, I think I, uh, it worked well for me Did this.
0: Okay. I, I also noticed that the water machine provides you with milk. Which is always handy to have a fresh supply of, I guess. I'm not sure if I'd drink it, but I'm I'm funny about I'm funny about milk anyway, mate. As I mentioned before, but yeah, pressing a button and getting milk in a bag, that's a bit weird, isn't it?
1: <laughs> and all the while, it turns out Susan just like once a week's just got a you know a, a four pinter sort of semi skimmed and she just opened the back of it. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Grandfather, we need to go to the co op again.
1: Yeah. You know? <laughs> We've got to go to Space Tesco's Express.
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh, so, okay. Seeing as he just brought her up, I'll, I'll get to it straight away with regards to, to Susan. She pisses me off in this story. She gets <laughs> right on my nerves, you know, because all she seems to do is want to be stabby-stabby with a pair of scissors or just completely overreact, overact and scream at everything.
1: That's actually what it's like in my head sometimes. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I, Susan actually I think is great when when she is a bit more wearing a bit more stabby because just to sort of set the scene I suppose there's when the when the show opens there's the TARDIS is making god awful racket there's an explosion everybody gets knocked to the floor. Um, Ian luckily fell into a chair. Susan somehow. Fallen face first onto the console, but didn't bounce onto the floor. And everybody, everybody's suffering from bits of memory loss, and all quite wary of each other. This yeah. this this leads to Susan going through after a little while, trying to go full Sid Vicious on Arn Anderson, and with a pair of massive long scissors, just trying to stab people. But I think she looked she did a really good job of looking sinister oh and, yeah and, and frantic and, and and creepy um that aspect of it was really good but yeah the towards the the end of the second part all all she did was periodically break down into hysterics when the plot required something to happen to fill some dead air
0: but there was no oh god this is what i'm starting to get angry already this is <laughs> th- there was no reason for it sometimes she so no. just be like there was one moment when when the doctor says that he's going to turn the scanner on Susan screams about it, it's like all right, love, calm down
1: I can see what they were going for though because Ian's periodically drifting in and out of conscious yelling at people not to touch the console because part of it's electrified and Mm -hmm. and will knock them out and Susan's saying they mustn't touch certain controls because she's been knocked out by it as well, but they can't quite remember why Yes. So I think it, it's it, it is a failing in the storytelling and and the direction I think because mm. it just comes across as a complete overreaction and the 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 going for sort of terror and and, and panic and what they got was screaming. Yeah. Yeah. Just not also- so nonsensical screaming. It, yeah. It, it, it was a strange one, but it's also. Like it, Oh, Go on, sorry, mate.
0: sorry mate, I've also got a little theory about Susan anyway, and I, I like Susan in general she was one of the first companions I ever saw outside of Doctor Who when it was being aired on television, because one of the first programmes I watched was Doctor Who and the Daleks on, on VHS tape mm. and obviously she was in the Five Doctors as well, which I played to death I've mean, told the story knows how many times on, on various podcasts, of so the VHS tapes and whatnot Now that aside And again, please remember, it's Doctor Who, so I love it regardless. I just don't think she's very good. With regards to being... With regards to the, the, the acting of the, the lady who plays Susan, I just don't think she's very good. Mm. Everything we've seen her in, I don't find her very believable, mate. No.
1: Yeah, I can go along with that. Um, I think there always has to be a nod to the direction as well because uh, you know a lot of this was done on the cheap and and did they necessarily have time to get any better takes or to or to give any you know any further you know direction to to susan to try maybe try and get a better performance out of her and then was the was the edit there you know was the editing there to to try and make the best of what they had you know again when when you're dealing with with a budget There is always an element of it's the best they could do for the money. Yeah. Okay. Um, Still, it doesn't matter. It kind of doesn't matter, though. I suppose it just, with that caveat, it still leaves Susan being a bit of an annoying companion (laughs) because it's very much, we, you know, it's very much screaming hysterics or
0: confusion. Yeah, yeah, this is true, this is true.
1: We see uh, that at the end of the, we see, we see that at the very end, actually, we'll get to that in, in due course, but there's a point where they've just gone through, like the finish, you know, the, the finish, of the, like, like it's a wrestling match, they've the fixed the, <laughs> the, fix the issue, and then they feel the need to have another bit explaining specifically to Susan how the issue was fixed.
0: Yeah, I went. We'll get to
1: that
0: we'll get to that in a minute, because I actually went downstairs and told Sharon about that as soon as I finished watching it. And she just looked at me like, w- w- how are you why are you spending your life like this? <laughs> <laughs> and you're just like, I don't know, but I'm having fun. <laughs> yeah, exactly, mate. Exactly. Uh, so we start off as you said, Dan, with, with the TARDIS, effectively making funny noises almost crashing i guess lots of stuff going on and there's quite sinister music as well i didn't mind that Mm. that was that was quite you know atmospheric and then barbara's looking around and she looks at ian and she goes ian chesterton like it's a question and i know it's a question because oh i'll tell you what it links into why i was late today Uh, unsurprisingly for those listening i was late to this recording and uh, i messaged dan to say i'm gonna be about 15 minutes late the reason being is I don't know what had happened, but somehow I turned the subtitles on to my television.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so, this, is, this is getting to be a damn-level excuse. This is like something that make me late for UTT. Like I was waiting <laughs> for my takeaway or I needed an emergency shit.
0: So I was trying to turn the subtitles off, but I couldn't figure out how to do it. It was taking me ages, and I can't watch the TV and have the subtitles on because I end up reading the subtitles and not watching what's going on. <laughs> so that's why I was late. It took me bloody ages to figure it out to turn the subtitles on off. And it turns out it's just a little thing in the corner on Britbox that says C, and you just click it and it goes away. Brilliant. Took me about 10-15 minutes to figure that out. Brilliant. Mm. But yes, I know it's a question and she's puzzled because there was question marks on the subtitles. And Go she off. says, Ian Chesterton? And then Susan's <laughs> going around in pain. You know, she's got a bad head and a bad neck um and to add to the confusion as well ian when he does come around uh, a few minutes later and he's looking around and talking he he says to barbara you're working late tonight as though he thinks they're still back at the school and stuff and it's quite they're all looking quite wide-eyed and a bit space cadet-y and they've got this atmosphere atmospheric music playing the start of it i think okay i'm, I'm wearing something good here this is going to be quite a creepy mm. weird episode you know yeah i was exactly the
1: same because the the, the play the memory loss really well and then particularly Ooh. susan uh, when she gets up to go to get get water she she's got these weird lurching movements that they're doing they're like they're not quite in full control of their own you know own limbs as they're walking around and they're sort of gradually remembering bits and pieces about each other. And then the clock the doctor on the floor. You know, they see an old man lying on the floor and just very casually, oh, he's cut his head. Shouldn't we help him? And then they do nothing. It's really, it's really subtly done because it, it, it gives the vibe of something acting human while not fully understanding how to be human. If you know what I mean, so I, like you, I was thinking we were in for like a, 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 a the thing situation, you know, where the you know the the monsters hiding in one of them.
0: Spoiler alert, mate! I have seen that.
1: Oh God! Well, it's eighties <laughs> as well. It's eighties as well. I thought, you know, I thought that'd been your era, uh, right? but um, do, I get the I got my first chuckle uh, because I've got an immature mind though. Right at, at the next bit because uh, Susan's. Fighting around doing something, and she gets, she just, she opens this box, and she she pulls out what appears to be just a, a fucking thing of extra large johnnies.
0: Yeah, oh, it's obviously supposed to be bandages, isn't it? But yeah. it just looks like condoms. And she's got a pair of scissors there, and you're thinking, is she trying to get pregnant? Is she going to stab holes in these? Who is <laughs> she is, tricking? Which,
1: <laughs> which is which is worrying. Which is worrying that a she's meant to be like 15, and two the only men on
0: the ship are a grandfather and a teacher. Mm. Yeah. So hey, we, won't go,
1: we won't go we won't go down that road with
0: this being What happens the in year. space stays in space, mate, you know? I was more worried about this being the U tree of the BBC. Oh, yeah. Okay. Let's move on. Um,
1: <laughs> <laughs> but she well, fills a couple of the Johnnies with water.
0: Yes, she does and puts them in the machine for Ian later. And um <laughs> Oh God. <laughs> the, the the doctor's on the floor. And Ian stands there pointing at him just going, what's he doing there? Yeah, and this is what I mean. It's so bizarre. Yes, it is. Um, the Doctor is muttering away that he can't take Susan back. Uh, well, I'm guessing a reference to taking her back home to Gallifrey or something like that, potentially. Mm-hmm.
1: Susan's had a freak out because the doors are open and they're not supposed to open on their own as well. And then Ian's just, well, maybe he did it before he cut his head open. As if it was was something on a to-do list. I've got to open the doors and then cut my head open and have a lie down.
0: Yeah, yeah, there we go. Well, it's important to have your day planned out, I think, mate. Yeah. Now, Ian starts playing silly buggers with the doors as well, doesn't he? He starts walking towards them and they shut. He walks away and they open. Mm. you know and this happens quite a few it's like when you're a kid and you're messing around with the button on the lift and people are trying to come and come in the shopping center and stuff you know
1: i've just just got in my notes that the tardis is
0: fucking with him yeah totally i quite enjoyed that um susan goes down again though she's she's excuse me oh my god um (laughs) (laughs) susan bails again she ends up hitting the deck after a bit of a Screamy episode once again, and gets took off to bed. Then doesn't she? By Ian, he picks her up and carries her off to a it's bed that comes creepier. out of the wall. Yeah, but it's not <laughs> even a bed, is it? It's like a, it's like a chair.
1: Yeah, he chucks her in a fireman's carrier as well. <laughs> yeah, just like right over the shoulder. In fact, no, it's more like a bag of spuds just over the shoulder. But that, Ian has a bit of melodrama as well because just before that, he's, he's melodramatic. He's like, "What's going on?" And then he just picks her up. Okay, I'll take her. I'll take her and lay her down. Um, you know, because <laughs> a, t- a teacher telling another teacher to put a student to
0: bed isn't creepy at all. Um, yeah, he's panicking like mad about this alien spaceship he's on. So it's going wrong. The door's opening and shutting. It's it's very scary. He can't remember a lot of stuff, but then suddenly calms down when he notices the unconscious teenage girl. Oh God! <laughs>
1: <laughs> we need to we need to step away from this line of phrasing. <laughs> but this is also and to be fair this is uh, as good a justification as any because he, he sits around the weird chair sleeping pod thing goes to get the um, goes to get water from the machine but it says it's empty but it's not empty and I'm sure the machine's already moved twice by this point or at least once right. and he goes back and, and Susan's there looking distressed and dis- dishevelled and she's got the long scissors this is where she goes like Sid Vicious and he wanted us to treat him like Aaron Anderson and do you know what fair you've got memory issues you wake up you are I was going to say in bed but it's not a bed it's like like you say it's a weird sort of chair thing you are where you sleep and your teachers are just walking in you're going to want to
0: get a bit stabby probably yes potentially mate, potentially. but she she takes it out on the bed itself doesn't she
1: which again don't fully understand but I think it's with the aim of of selling the confusion and, and and the sort of weirdness of the situation, you know, how everything's not quite right. Mm.
0: Yeah, yeah. Um, back in the control room, the doctor is very worried. We know this because he tells us several times. And... Um, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why that tickled me the doctor is worried because he tells us a lot <laughs> he does yeah, he keeps saying oh I'm, I'm very worried mm, yes mm, mm. very very worried yes mm, worried yes, mm. Mm. but is, I, do the, like, I do like the line
1: where he says where Ian asks if, if the doctor knows where they are and he says where isn't as important as why young man Well yeah, that was good yeah, but he's walking around with yeah, that, that's band factory stuff, isn't it? Yeah, but he's walking around for the rest of the of the two part with this fucking bandage on his head that looks like a weird tinfoil halo hill.
0: <laughs> and it's it's on his head and it's tied up at the back, but it's not on his head properly. It's literally just if if there's a gust of wind, that thing would fly off his head. It's not on properly for the whole it's thing, a, is it? It's it's like
1: it's like a space age fryer tuck.
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh dear. Uh, Ian and the Doctor go off to look at a machine. that is supposed to tell him which part of the TARDIS is broken. I suppose like a diagnostics machine. I guess. Well,
1: it's a machine that's built to detect faults, which is ever so scientifically called the fault locator. Does exactly what it
0: says on the tin. Oh. Machinery by Ron Seal. <laughs> it. And it's say t- it's it's basically saying A15, A16, A17, A18, etc., cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So there's quite a few faults it's detecting, it seems, Dan, isn't it?
1: Everything's fucked. Mm. <laughs> yeah. yes. i if that was if that was an alternate readout. <laughs> yeah, <laughs>
0: you're knackered, pal. <laughs> yeah. probably, probably best get out, really. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Barbara goes back to check on Susan again. Um, She's being very weird, not talking much, kind of sat there before Barbara eventually says, Susan, give me the scissors. Because she's sat there with the scissors again. Why have they not (laughs) took the bloody scissors off her? Uh, They're a comfort scissors. Ah, like having a teddy bear. She has, like, scissors in her head. Yeah, pretty much. There was a whole block of dialogue as well
1: where they're trying to figure out what's going on. And the doctor's... Dismissing, you know, dismissing certain things as ridiculous. You know, something could have got onto the ship. Ian saying if it could be an animal or a man, and Doctor, it's not logical. And Barbara's saying, what about another intelligence and and all this. And Barbara gets a great. Barbara actually gets a couple of good lines in this. But the Doctor keeps saying it, it's illogical, and she says, does it have to be? You know, as in be logical. The, the things aren't always very logical, are they? And it's just like, oh yeah, you've probably you've been you've seen a lot of shit by this point, even this early on. Mm. So, but that was the other thing I wanted to say as well. Through we'll see throughout as we go through. This is actually a bit of a um, sort of a breakthrough moment for uh, our episode for Barbara, really, isn't it? This this whole oh, matter. Yeah. Um, so it's, it's nice to see that re- you know the relationship between her and the doctor develop and, and and the doctor soften a bit.
0: Yeah, yeah, I think you're right. I mean, obviously we'll come to it, but the end scene in particular is very good. But Barbara. I suppose you've got Ian there, who is the, uh, I suppose, the attempt at being the alpha male in, 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 the, in the crew on the TARDIS, despite the, you know, you know, love for cardigans. And then you've got the Doctor, who is the, you know, this time-travelling alien, so he's obviously got things that appeal there character-wise. Then you've got Susan, who is the alien's granddaughter and a unique young genius. Barbara, I think, can sometimes get a little bit lost in the shuffle. It's almost like, what is her role here? Mm. And I think you're spot on. This episode, she really shines, doesn't she?
1: Yeah, she's given the chance to shine. It? it sort of establishes Barbara's. The doctor is obviously the smartest person in the room. Ian, you know, and probably Susan, in terms of the space stuff, comes second. Mm. Ian's smart in his own right, but is more mechanical, if you like. Mm. And it doesn't really leave a role for uh, for Barbara to fill, but the doctor puts it later on. He calls it her intuition in a situation which is a bit sort of reductive because it's just another. It's just she sees things from a different angle. She's in, again very intelligent in her own right, being you know being a teacher. Um, but it's, it's a different. It's just a different way of thinking and different, and different logic that's put forward. And I think she's there as sort of doctor is pure, the doctor. This version of the doctor is sort of quite cold and, and clinical and logical. Yeah, Barbara's intelligent, but with more of an empathetic and, and uh, sort of again, I'm, I'm going to say emotional side to her, But that's not doesn't really convey what I'm trying to say. Um, To be honest, she puts a bit of humanity into it.
0: Yeah, I get that. I get that. And I, I suppose up until now, she's basically filled the role of screaming, falling over and cooking, I guess, in the episodes we've seen anyway.
1: Yeah, very much. And that was at a time that that's when, as well, we've already had
0: Susan screaming and falling over. Yeah, she falls over a lot. She falls over in this. There's nothing to trip over, but she keeps falling over. The floor's flat. There were explosions going off at points, and also she kept getting that pain in her head. Um, if I oh, tell you what, I tell you what. Try, right? Don't try and excuse the wonky-ankled alien, mate. Come on.
1: If I tell you what, if that was a if that was my, if that was a really bad migraine, I understand why she fell over because I've nearly done the same thing.
0: oh Okay, fair
1: enough. It affects you, it fucks your equilibrium.
0: Okay, yeah, fair enough, fair enough. Um, Barbara gets <laughs> I lo- the- Sorry, I love how quickly I won you round on
1: that one. Just, just, <laughs> just one personal anecdote. You're going, don't, don't, back up, the, don't bank up the, back up the wonky ankle alien. Come on, Dan, what the fuck are you playing? Like, yeah, all right, yeah, makes sense. <laughs> Stick by your convictions, man.
0: Fuck it. Man. <sighs> okay, she falls over too much, mate. Um, <laughs> Barbara gets the scissors off Susan here. And then all of a sudden Ian's in the room and he's being creepy as hell here. Oh, yeah. like a <laughs> he walks in. scary face.
1: He, he walks in and he may as well be acting like Vic Reeves in shooting stats. <laughs> That's what it felt like. He just it. Hello. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it was hello. Yeah.
0: It was weird, wasn't it? It was a bit strange. Um, this is when Ian explains that the doctor's going to turn the scanner on and we get a bit more screaming and shouting and falling over from Susan and then the doors open and shut a bit and the scanner starts showing them photographs
1: yeah this was this was quite odd mm. at the time but ends up actually being a really really fun little device um to sort of lead to the lead us to the conclusion later on it's a good bit of foreshadowing
0: yeah yeah definitely uh then, the, uh, I suppose part of this as well, we were speaking about the the sort of memory loss and everyone's acting a bit weird, nobody really knows what's going on. Naturally, that's going to start breeding a certain level of paranoia, isn't it? Yeah. And it kind of manifests here with the Doctor. Um, he effectively takes Susan to one side of him and it's almost like there's battle lines drawn figuratively on the screen because you have the two time travellers and... They're pointing the finger and blaming the two humans. It's almost a bit of space racism, I guess. I don't know. But it's it's like he's got his granddaughter and he's saying, these two have messed with my ship. They are yeah. causing this.
1: Yeah, the Doctor's consider the variables, and, and the only variable from before they started the tra- travel to now is, is the two humans on board. Um, because they go through the scanner, they're looking at it saying it was... Oh, that was the you know the Sea of Planet, and that was it was Quinness of the Fourth Universe. But that's not outside; it's a photograph, and all the rest of it. And it, it, the paranoia sort of creeps in quickly, but the Doctor verbalises it quite subtly initially. Hmm. Ian, Ian's asking what it's all about, and Doctor saying, "I thought you might be able to explain." And the Doctor, are ah, you trying to confuse me, are you blah, blah blah blah," you know, and giving it up, giving it a load of shit. And got, they have this sort of heated back and forth, don't they? And this is when Barbara. Really gets a first big moment, which I absolutely loved. Oh, because, I love this. Oh, she gives him a telling off. She's the new on one, mate, don't she? Yeah, the doctor's accusing her of, 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 accusing them of trying to blackmail him to get them back to to England. And, and take him home and she I've got it the I've got it word for word here and she says you stupid old man don't you realize it don't you just, just leads off like that which brilliant yeah um don't you realize you would have died in the cave of skulls if Ian hadn't made fire with you which was which we've looked at yes. um, and she says oh, what about what we went through with the Daleks? not just for us but for you and susan too all because you tricked us into going down into that city so the doctors obviously got some you know, got some form and some history there. I've, I've never seen it, so I'm not 100% in this. Oh, yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. You, you, um, in that story, what have we covered? Dalek Invasion of Earth, haven't we? Uh... Yes. So the first Dalek story we've not covered. Yes. Yeah. Right. In yes, the first right, Dalek yeah. story, they uh, they arrive and see this city, and it, it basically they're on Skaro, and the Doctor wants to go and explore The others are saying, no, let's try and get Ian and Barbara home. Let's try and travel elsewhere, whatever it may well be. And the Doctor effectively sabotages a bit of the TARDIS and tells them they need to pick up something. The only place it could possibly come from is that city because everywhere else is jungle. So he kind of tricks them into going into the city, and that's when it all kicks off with the Daleks and shit. Right, got you
1: okay yeah so that makes sense but she's accuses you ought to get down on your hands and knees and thank us but gratitude's the last thing you'll ever have or any sort of common sense either and it's like
0: fuck you yeah but then it it kind of gets ruined a little bit it kind of gets ruined a little bit because she turns around and just starts screaming again you may notice Dan and people listening I'm not about all the screaming mate and it's what
1: she's screaming at that gets me it's a melted clock Mm-hmm. and then Susan's horrified by it as well and Ian's just like quite casually checking his watch which has stopped um, and Barbara like she, she, there's a lot of moments in and everybody bar the doctor has them where they're just very melodramatic for a second because Barbara th- Barbara throws a throws watch across the room and breaks down crying Ian's just sort of looking at it and he just looks at the doctor, you can't blame us for this, doctor. <laughs> mm. <laughs> and he's you know, the doctor wanders off and comes back saying they need more time to think and the somewhat other right. and he's got them all tea. And Ian calls him out. He says one minute you're abusing us and the next
0: you're playing perfect butler. Yeah. It, again, this was because everyone's getting angry. The last proper interaction the doctor has he's accusing Barbara and Ian of sabotaging the ship and then getting himself uh, ripped a new one by Barbara. And then he just totters off and brings back a tray of drinks. And it was a bit like, mm. it's quite obvious there's something going on with these drinks, isn't there?
1: Yeah, it's really, really
0: telegraphed. And,
1: you know, Ian clocks it. He knows what He's not daft. He knows what's going on. And they all just sort of toddle off in their own directions, don't they? Ian says there's no time for personal quarrels and they're in a dangerous position and thinks he should, the doctor should apologize to Barbara and the doctor just fires back with, I'm afraid we have no time for for code or manners. And I certainly don't underestimate the dangers if they exist, but I must have time to think rash action is worse than no action at all. And he says about rash action after he's just accused two of his traveling companions of, of sabotage and attempted murder.
0: Yes. Oh dear. Um, from this, everyone basically is knocked out, aren't they? The doctor has given them something to to help them sleep. And he then goes room to room, bed to bed, making sure they are all actually asleep. You say that, he's,
1: he's, he's spiked them.
0: Yes, yes, yes.
1: That's what he's done.
0: <laughs> yeah, basically. And he then goes back to the control room where this, the the cliffhanger, I guess, from this first part of the two parts that we're looking at today, is somebody's hands appearing and choking the Doctor, and that's where the, the episode ends, isn't it?
1: Yeah, um, it's less that's when the Doctor died as that's when the Doctor came.
0: <laughs> oh, dear. <laughs> episode two, which is entitled uh, The Edge of Destruction – Brink, brink of disaster point of oblivion there's a lot of stuff going on isn't there that's it is, to it's a bit things. of a
1: godful <laughs>
0: yeah um, <laughs> the it is it is again it shows this scene that we ended the last episode with and it's Ian's hands around the doctor's neck and Ian then in his dressing gang with his crazy eyes takes a hugely over the top elaborate comedy fall he does doesn't he it? mm. it's um
1: it's, yeah, it's not brilliant. Um, and they call it fainting. I've never seen anybody faint like that. But the yeah. Doctor the doctor, having witnessed this guy trying to strangle him and then pass out just uses that as more ammunition to fuel his theory, which I guess, yeah, fine. But zero concern at all for
0: uh, for furrying. <laughs> yeah, he doesn't care, does he? Uh, he basically says he's going to throw them out of the ship now, doesn't he? This is the the next big kind of back and forth we have the uh, the doctor is saying he's going to throw ian and barbara out out of the ship off the ship however you want to word it susan at one point kind of sees the logic in this but is against it because they're her friends or teachers and so on and we then get a danger signal going off which sounds quite a bit like a foghorn yeah it's um it's an odd one isn't it hmm very loud Uh, yeah i didn't quite know what to make of that to be honest yeah uh and then ian tries to strangle barbara as well just for good measure (laughs) yeah it's yeah it's
1: again and i know what they're going for i get it the the trying to sell how strange the situation is and 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 people are acting weird and and what's going on there that's what they're trying to do and i can see it in the car i think this is a really good idea. This is a really, cl- yeah. there's, there's the kernel of a really clever episode in this. I just, they just didn't have the, the budget or the, or the time to pull it off, mm. which is like I said, maybe that's why I'm a, that's why I'm being quite generous with it because I could see what they were going for. And I love that sort of episode. So I think I really, really wanted to like this as, as I was going through. Um Yeah. But I can't, I can't, mean, I can't, I can't deny that. It, yeah, I can't, and then the time, the time it took to write that you told me as well.
0: Yeah, well, the option was either try and create something quickly as two filler episodes, or go off the air for two weeks. Was is what I've read today in looking stuff up for the show. That was yeah. the the production team's decision. So they went with this. So you're right; mm. they didn't have much time, and they definitely didn't have much budget. They've done the best they can, and yes, some of it is quite wobbly. Some of it is a bit comical in places but the the character progression especially for barbara i think this ends up being quite quite substantial in in regards to the whole time that they're traveling together
1: yeah it does and but they do even now they do enough to keep us guessing because the doctor's going full into this conspiracy theory that it's ian and barbara but as soon as he goes near the console Ian's awake and yelling at him not to, not to go near the console because it'll ele- electrocute him. Uh, well, and that's just after the Doctor's been calling it divide and conquer tactics because Susan's coming round to the logic that why would Ian and Barbara try and sabotage the ship when it could kill them if they want to go home?
0: Yeah, that does you know. It's it's pretty glaringly obvious. To be fair, it's you know, it's <laughs> yeah, it is a wee bit. It's a wee it's bit. Like, come on, think it through. And the you
1: doctors, know, the, they're just they're trying to get the doc's and It's like, well, they're resourceful and cunning, and it's like the, the doctor is so pig-headed and, and adamant that he's right, and determined. This is the correct course. That you can't see, you can't see the forest for the trees. You know, and it's yeah. it's something that you don't see so much of in modern who but when you do it's really effective and, and weirdly it's from an episode i don't like that much but just sprung to mind um the runaway bride the christmas special uh, which was catherine tate's first appearance okay the doctor's there under, under the thames there's this giant creepy spider monster and he's flooding basically causing some sort of flood to, to kill the kill the spider to kill the creatures and he's adamant that he's going to see it through to the end, even if it costs him his life. But Donna talks him down. Yep. But you thought like, oh, Jesus, this is getting a bit dark and a bit murdery for a Christmas special. But then Donna talks him down. And then what I thought was brilliant is late late in the series for Donna. um, They do the episode turn left.
0: Yes. I loved this. Yeah. So... I'm glad they've sort
1: of gone away from the, the the sort of the crusty old boomer Doctor of the of 1964, <laughs> but it just means when when that part of the character does come out, it just like you said, like I say, it just makes it that much more effective. I don't know why I went down that rabbit hole, but that's just what sparked my mind.
0: Oh, fair enough, mate. Fair enough. Uh, the, the Doctor then explains that they are on literally the brink of destruction. Every piece of equipment is is wrecked. And they've got ten minutes apparently to survive. This is after we get a, a bright flash and everything kind of wobbling about a bit.
1: Yeah, yeah, the explosions are going off. It's and uh, Susan's reporting it's it's happening every fifteen seconds, whatever that is, whether it's the you know the the lights flashing or or what have you. Um, Ian's rumbled that it was the uh, the the tea that got them all to fall asleep. But did did you clock as well more? We'll call it classic sixties moments of explain everything in great detail to the woman and therefore the audience when the doctor decided to explain in great detail how the fault locator works yes it... when when shit goes wrong, bulb goes on,
0: yeah. It's kind of, yeah, it's, it's quite patronising, isn't it? Especially, well, we'll come to the torch thing in a bit, but that, that was the worst of it for me. But it is all quite patronising. And like you said, very much of its time, isn't it? Very 60s.
1: Yeah, it's patronising, but it's also filler within filler,
0: mm. which is just dull. <laughs> yeah, but on the other side of that, though, it's actually Barbara that figures out that the TARDIS is trying to warn them. It's Barbara who kind of almost solves the issue, I guess.
1: Yeah, because they start talking about the power source um, and, and things like that. Um, it should, Barbara says, <laughs> Barbara says something that even I can't spin to make sense, right? Um, because she's thinking about the clock face and and the melting of the clock and the stopping of the watches, and she says that time was taken away from them and now it's being given back because it's running out. Right. However, I've just realised. That that means that the TARDIS took away the clocks as a warning to try and get them to realise something was wrong, and has now put the timings back because it's all getting a bit too close. Yes, I've only just tweaked that that's what she meant because I'm okay. dumb. Um, but <laughs> we uh, we You know when you know it's always amusing when TV shows or sports commentary goes kind of accidentally dirty.
0: Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, we get batsman's holding the bowler's willy, for example. Yeah, yeah. Um, this this one was uh, the doctor
1: confirms that the heart of the Tardis is under the uh, the control console and, and the column, and then they say, "Well, what made it move?" And says, so the, "The power source. When the column rises, it proves it proves the extent of the power thrust."
0: <laughs> yes, it does. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Tardis Ooh. column power thrust. <laughs> oh man. <laughs> The doctor has uh, told a little fib and he explains this by saying to Ian, I lied deliberately, which is good to know (laughs) as long as he hasn't lied accidentally, because that would have been a completely different situation. And there's actually only five minutes left. He told the girls 10 minutes because when things go wrong and there's a big flash and everyone dies, they won't expect it. So it will save them that extra five minutes of worry, I suppose.
1: Yeah, which is an odd one um, because he sent them off to watch the doors, hasn't he? But then soon they're in this. this, They're still within earshot, and they're just just like, "What are you talking about?"
0: (laughs) Oh my god, this was so bad. Yeah, they're like, "What are you talking about?" And the Doctor in the end don't want to be rumbled, so they literally. It's like when it's like when you get a kid asking you a question and you put on a certain voice that's what they did they put on a talking to a child voice here the doctor and ian yeah. and they were both ian was like well i think i had an idea but it turns out that idea is not very good and the doctors are going yes well we have to solve this problem of course we do it's obvious isn't it mm. and it's like come on mm. man!" you know <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah it was just um they did have a, a decent there was a funny little bit in it where they're trying to say about the, the power source leaving and, and, and whether the TARDIS can can think. And the doctor says, what do you mean? It's my machine can't think. And I've just put him on notes, Oh, if you only knew what was coming. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And just oh, Ian, Ian's, mind, Ian, Ian's mind being blown by the concept of sentient AI. And the doctor said, well, yeah, I suppose it's feasible, but it, th- it wouldn't think like a, a human being. It'd think like a machine, just a, th- <laughs> just a bank of computers. And I was like, we've gone from that to the whole, like, heart of the TARDIS and, and the consciousness and and all the rest of it. It's I'm, I'm glad they made the TARDIS a character.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, um... Shall we get to the fast return switch, Dan? <laughs> <laughs> that's,
1: that's, what call, that's what I call it when I, when I eat spicy food.
0: <laughs> We've had two episodes here, nearly, nearly two complete episodes of Classic Who. People have been um, rehearsing and acting this. Uh, apparently, the rehearsals for the first episode took a couple of days. Rehearsals for the last episode took three days. Um, somebody wrote this in a couple of days as well and it all comes dying to a switch yeah now
1: this is a funny thing we because it all gets a bit more melodramatic than that because before they figure out the switch they figure out the doctor figures out where they are because mm-hmm. they've been speculating about what could be affecting the TARDIS if it was a, if it was an outside force or a magnetic force it'd have to be have to have the power of a solar system And he gives this little monologue and he's like, I know, I know. I said it would take the force of an entire solar system to attract the power away from my ship. We're at the very beginning, the new start of a solar system. And he talks about atoms rushing around each other, fusing and coagulating until minute little collections of matter are created. And so the process goes on and on until dust is formed. Dust then becomes solid entity, a new birth of a sun and its planets. And he just looks so happy. And there's a kind of look on his face and that little, like, that that little monologue is brilliant until you realise it's just like it could have just said it was at the start of a new universe, but they needed to fill about twenty seconds.
0: Yeah, I mean the the term filler really applies to this this story, this episode, the premise, everything about it. I think.
1: Yeah, it's it's filler, but it's not awful filler. Um, no, 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 and yeah, we get the fast return switch so. They'd previously been on SCARO, The doctor used the fast return switch to send it, to send them back to where they were, and they've sent it back too far. So they're effectively at the birth of 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 our solar system. You know, waiting for Earth to be formed. Mm-hmm. Um, the fast return switch, luckily, is right by the scanner switch where it's safe. Um, Very handy. Oh, yeah. Um, not at all, because the plot needed it. It was good design. The Type 40s were like that. You should, the Type 39 was ridiculous. It was all... The, the fast return switches was on the other side of the console. You had a lever that you needed to pull on the wall.
0: It, it was it The was, button throat in the doors was behind the toilet cistern. It was just a mess. Oh, like, the, yeah.
1: The 39s were fucking awful. Yeah. Um, but, the, yeah, they just... It, it basically fixes a spring. And, and that's it.
0: Yeah.
1: But see, I... I I'm torn on this because, like I say, I could see what they were going for. Some of it was very effective, being creepy and and not quite knowing what's going on and the mystery of it all and were they going to betray each other, were they not. And I don't know if I, if I love or love this ending or both because I really wanted, like, something either ingenious or ridiculous. Mm. But the fact that it ends up being something quite mundane... Is also quite clever because a machine as yeah. complex a machine as complex as the TARDIS, any little thing could have a catastrophic effect. You know, any any little thing going wrong could have a catastrophic effect. And for it to be something like that, it was just like, oh okay, yeah. You know, for it to be, it literally just be a minor mechanical fault, in terms of the wider context of Doctor Who and how the TARDIS operates and the law around that, mm-hmm. I thought that in that aspect it was quite clever. I don't yeah, know. I guess. Um, were you more in sort of the wanted a like a monster of the week kind of thing?
0: No, I, I don't have to have a monster of the week or anything like that. It, I mean, it, the issue that I have sometimes with new who is that it's always so big and grandiose and and just everything is always so huge. It's like, it's never a case of just saving a village from something anymore. It's, we've got to save the world and it's 6 billion people, 10 billion people, 15 million billion trillion people could die. And the number just keeps getting bigger and bigger and bigger. I don't need that, but to just turn around and go, ah, yeah, spring got stuck. Yeah. It's like, it's a bit uh... anticlimactic. Yeah. Potentially. Did you notice the marker pen writing as well on the switch <laughs> yeah. yeah, written on there? It literally said fast return switch written on there in, in like dry wipe marker pen. And the reason that that was there, apparently, is because William Russell, who played Ian and Carol Ann Ford, who played Susan, when they used to rehearse TARDIS scenes, would write down the names of switches on the console. Or they would write down numbers, one, two. So when they were going around the console, pressing buttons and so on, they would be able just to follow these notes when they were rehearsing. And then (laughs) the the production team would wipe them off before they actually shot the real thing. And on this occasion, they forgot to wipe it off. So you've just got somebody's marker pen writing above it (laughs) saying... I (laughs) I love that. I
1: love that. That is brilliant. Um, that is so funny um, what I did like after it all after everything settles down and the lights are back on and, and all the rest of it you see everybody in sort of various stages of, of relief mm-hmm. um, Susan's relieved but still concerned for concerned for the Doctor obviously because he's, he's a grandfather Ian's just relieved in general the Doctor's pretty smug because he always is and Barbara's relieved but pissed off yeah she's a bit sulky which i can understand she's been she's been accused of all these things and and doing xyz and it was just a faulty switch but Mm. it's the fact that the doctor would initially but his first instinct is to believe that they're out to get him rather than it's a mechanical you know rather than thinking it's a mechanical fault um so you can kind of you can really understand it i suppose before we get to that we have to talk about the uh, the unnecessary torch demonstration
0: oh dear me apparently um in the 60s people couldn't understand anything so the doctor would have to idiot explain it to us and uh, he's he's trying to explain to susan who apparently is a genius in her own right yeah. Let me tell you how this works. And he basically talks through how a, a torch works. And when you press the button, the light comes on. When you take your but- finger off the button, the light goes off. Now, imagine, if you will, that the spring inside doesn't push the button back. So it's like my thumb is on the button all the time. And Susan's little alien mind is blown by this revelation, isn't it?
1: So, just explain that to me one more time. I'm having, I'm having trouble grasping the concept. <laughs> it's, yeah, it, it, again, it's, it's more filler at the end of filler. Mm-hmm. Just, oh God. And it's, and it, but it's that, it's that whole thing again whenever anything needs explaining, when they really want to hammer the point home to an audience, just say it to the women. Yeah. Yeah, it's just oh god, it's it's a pain in the ass. At least, he, at least the doctor has the good grace to say, uh, "I think your old grandfather is going a tiny little bit around the bend." So he, he's actually acknowledging that he's a mad old bastard.
0: <laughs> yeah, because he is. Um, we then get the, I, I suppose, the nice bonding with uh, Barbara. He, she's not happy at all. The doctor. Doesn't apologize, but I suppose it's the closest this version of the doctor is going to get to apologizing, dad. It's so awkward.
1: Mm. It's so awkward. You've got, you know, he's calling Susan brave and, the, and he's saying he's proud of her. And she asks about Ian and Barbara and the terrible things he says. And he's he's all flustered, isn't it? Because as if admitting he's wrong will cause him physical pain. Mm. Um, and the, Ian, Ian spots it straight away and he says, Don't bother. I know you're not going to. So. You know, sometimes I can read every thought on your face, and, and the doctor sort of concedes that Ian's, you know, not as bad as he's made out to be, and he uh, he admits that Barbara's Barbara was right, and it was her intuit, intuition that overcame his logic, and they all of their lives, but he never actually apologises, and but that just leads to Barbara just walking off she's like,
0: "Look, fuck you," basically. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, fair, again, fair enough.
1: Yeah, and. It's he kind of turns to Ian and says you know I really believe I've underestimated that young lady which is as close to an admission of being wrong as you're going to get from this version of the Doctor yes Um, so on one hand it's it's a bit of progression in his thinking um, but also it's just like well is is that all we're going to (laughs) get
0: yeah yeah the, the, there's the thing about the wardrobe and the clothing as well isn't it? when he follows her into the room and starts telling her about you know there's a wardrobe you can use and susan's left you some clothes out and it, it's, it's almost like they it's almost like they're skirting around the real issue and talking about something else to kind of get over the problem maybe
1: yeah and you know i've seen it in particularly the I say particularly the older generation. I spend a lot of time with my granddad. You know, walk his dog, do bits and pieces for him, that kind of thing. And they never big. He's never big on apologising or outward displays of emotion or things like that. But he'll always do something, uh-huh. or, or say it without saying it, if you like it. And this is what it's. This is essentially what it's there. And, and the doctor's actually a bit more forthright, though. He, he outright says. Um, you know, he says, you haven't forgiven me, have you? And she says, you said terrible things to us. And he says, I suppose it's the injustice that's upsetting you. Well, no shit. (laughs) Uh, But there's actually an acknowledgement that what he said and did must have affected her very deeply. Mm. And again, she has a real real moment. She says, what, do you care what I think or feel? (laughs) And the line the doctor uses is, as we learn about each other, we also learn about ourselves. And that which is basically saying... You're growing on me, effectively. <laughs> you know, I'm getting to, I'm getting to like you and accept you as, you know, and having uh, having you on board. And he praises her again for putting her mind to it and, and, and deter- uh, determination and solving the problem. And then we, so he doesn't again. He doesn't actually apologise. He just says more
0: good things about Barbara.
1: Yeah. It's-
0: it's, I suppose it's a generational thing, like you said, isn't it? It's...
1: Yeah, it is. But it
0: it seems to be enough for
1: uh, for Barbara because Susan comes in, and you know it's easy to forget sometimes that that Susan, uh, the, sorry, Ian and Barbara feel a, a a duty of care towards Susan. Yeah, as as a student, because Barbara softens, you know, in the in the in the wake of the. Um, so in the wake of that's a bit dramatic, you know, with Susan sorting out the clothing for her and giving her, you know, giving her the the trousers or leggings whatever she was wearing, and even the doctor, he manages to say it without being creepy, as well as you know he compliments the, the the trousers that she's wearing, you know they're they're rather charming, um, which you know I was just amazed it wasn't creepy as I said before, um, and that just seems to be enough, and we get the doctor saying to Ian. That does he say it to him or Does he say it? To, it does he say it to Barbara? who says we must look after you. You know you're very valuable.
0: Yeah, that's right. He says it to Barbara. Yeah, and that's again, that's kind of the closest you're going to get, isn't it? Without mm. actually the words leaving his mouth, I guess.
1: Yeah, and, and again, we're back to the generational thing. That was how pe- that was how people in those did in back then, particularly all the generation, showed affection. You know what little affection they did. It was it was in things like that but it's a nice little ending, really. You know, it all ties up. Susan starting a snowball fight with Barbara. The doctors telling Ian how he got the coat that Ian's wearing from Gilbert and Sullivan, and Ian gets his daft little jokes. Oh, yes, I thought it was made for two.
0: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> <damn it>. um... <laughs> I, I laughed at it. <laughs> but th- th- it's a nice. I think the ending's done brilliantly because you've got the, the whole character progression with Barbara. You've got Ian and the doctor sharing a joke and having a bit of a laugh and a giggle. And Susan's a young girl and she's excited to go out and play in the snow, which is, you know, outside the TARDIS where they've landed. And it, it's it's done it's nice, everyone's having a laugh and a joke, and then they're like, Oh my goodness, there's this massive footprint in the snow. So you still get a little bit of the 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 sort of cliffhanger feeling to it when they go off air as well I think the ending is done quite well done
1: yeah it's a real nice little teaser you know everything in that one's wrapped up in a nice little bow all the danger's gone but oh wait what's this it, it's a, so even if you haven't enjoyed these, these episodes you know where it is a bit you know sort of light on action shall we say mm-hmm. and, and things you know happening and the wee woo be boop side of it you've still got a hook for next time round
0: yeah yeah, not that we can check that out because that leads into Marco Polo and all seven episodes of that are still missing. So Which is a great shame. It is. It is. This is actually the the fairest you can watch into Doctor Who. If you start at the beginning, this is mm-hmm. the fairest you can watch into Doctor Who without, without coming across a missing episode. It's Marco Polo that kicks that whole thing off. So yeah, it's a bit of a shame, isn't it? It is, but
1: you know, we knew we knew what was gonna happen when we
0: signed up, didn't we? this is true this is true uh, so I uh, uh, to summarize Dan what what your yeah, sort of closing thoughts on this two-parter in general it was it
1: was nice to go back and see how they, how they did a two-parter in those days. there were some really good ideas some of it was pretty well executed you know all things considered um I think it was just I think I think it suffered from the lack of budget and the lack of time to go into yeah. you know to make it to make it a true great ep- a true great two-parter um i wouldn't be surprised to know if this one actually inspired quite a few um you know quite a few episodes that we've seen uh, come across the company you who i mentioned a few of them before you know yeah in Choice where they're stuck on the tardis with imminent danger and, and, and things like that so i think it's it's a good episode I do enjoy it. There's a lot that could have been done better. Um, but I would... It, we often say, you know, could you show it to some to somebody new who's watching Doctor Who? Uh-huh. I'd say that this one is one that could be... You know, if you've watched a few episodes and you're just sort of getting into it and you're starting to get curious about the the origins, I think it'd be a nice one to sort of ease in with not, not right at the start but a little in of saying this is a snapshot of what it's like with Hartnell imagine what they can do with time and money behind it
0: hmm yeah okay um, I'm, I'm not a massive fan of this mate yeah I can understand
1: that I'm, like I say I've, I've made my biases it's sort of pretty well known and how it you know how it fits in with me mm. personally but yeah go for it I'm pretty sure I'll agree with all your criticisms as well
0: well it's, I think we've seen this is our third season. We've seen plenty of old, old, old Doctor Who that has aged. Shall we say at least okay? Mm-hmm. This I don't think has aged very well at all. Okay. I think we. I think a lot of the that the mansplaining to the the, yeah. the the female characters isn't great. Uh, the effects aren't great. And again, it all comes down to money and timing. Of course, it's out of their hands. We know that the whole purpose of this, this two-parter existing is simply because they didn't have the money. Mm. However, I don't think this has aged well. I think everything else we've seen from Hartnell on the show so far has been better than this. Mm. And uh, it's a funny one because there's only four characters in this, in this two-parter. But, mm barbara the least of all i guess but every single one of them to a degree just got on my nerves a little bit
1: yeah that's fair enough and i, I, I completely agree with the mansplaining side of things um this isn't going to be one of my higher rated ones mm. um it's yeah like i say i'm just being a bit lenient on it because I, I really am a fan of what they were trying to do um yeah. But yeah, I can't fault any, any of your criticisms there. You, 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 <laughs> you certainly can't say that you're wrong in any aspect. But um, it's just, it's one of those interesting ones where we've watched the same thing. We actually have very similar opinions. It's just the tack we're taking on it takes it in different directions. And, and that's one of the things I really like doing, uh, like about doing this show with you is just having that Sort of work, on how many times have if we if we talked each other around on the uh, you know, on draft episodes and things like that when we wrap up a season? Yeah, that's true, that's true. So, tell
0: you what, what, our draft this, this be... season is going oh, to be well. very difficult. Our draft this season is going to be incredibly difficult.
1: It is, yeah, because I, I was actually just having a look at our uh, our episode list. Um, I know I'm
0: going to put this ahead of at least two episodes. Would um, they be the ones with Matt Smith in them? They would. <laughs> 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 so it's a bad,
1: it's a bad season for Matt Smith, unfortunately. It is, it is. Um, hopefully, it'll get a bit better for him in season four. Spoiler alert: We already know what we're going to be covering for Matt Smith in season four, but we're not telling you right now. Um, but yeah, it, it's yeah, it's not going to be up there, really, is it? But uh, like we've said before, it's Doctor Who, so just at the base level, we're going to enjoy it. <laughs>
0: Yeah, yeah, this is it. I mean, uh, I, I'm there saying I don't like this, I don't like that. I find the characters irritating, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. I will still go back and watch this again at some point. Yeah, so yeah, well, that's
1: that's the mad stuff. And thing is, it, I liked it. Kind of, it's kind of suffers the opposite problem of War Games. War games, too short. War Games felt like it had too much time behind it, mm-hmm. and and maybe a bit a bit too much put behind it. And this didn't have it, you know. This didn't have enough. Mm. I'm not necessarily mean, not necessarily meaning that it should have been a longer serial, but if they'd have had more time to write it, more budget to produce something, you know, more compelling than than a broken switch, you know, I still think there's the kernel of a, uh, yeah. a great
0: story in there. Yeah, and again, we keep going back to it. it, it it's 59 years old. So you've yeah. got to give it some allowances for that, haven't you? Yeah, have, you have. Yeah. Ah, okie doke. Where are we going next week, Dan? What are we looking at next week, bud?
1: Oh, next week we're on to one of your picks, si. We're going to Ooh. Peter Davison, and we are looking at Earthshock.
0: Oh, yeah. Cybermen and all sorts of great stuff. Yeah,
1: is that what we're into?
0: Yeah, brilliant. I, 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 I have very fond memories of Earthshock because that was one of the VHS tapes my friend had, and it was one that we'd watch a lot of whenever I'd go over his house when I was a kid, so mm. i got very fond memories of this. Hopefully, those good memories stand up when we come back to watching it
1: now. <laughs> yeah, fingers crossed.
0: <laughs> yeah, because it's, yeah, um,
1: yeah. Obviously, I'm completely unfamiliar, So, it, but it's been a little while since we've had a uh, Cyberman story, and just looking back, we haven't had Cybermen this season, we haven't had daleks okay so yeah, yeah
0: interesting huh. who would have thought that Who would have thought that when we started <laughs> yeah exactly exactly the only downside that i can remember is adric is in it and i'm not a fan of adric
1: oh really i had not mentioned it
0: no he's a bit of a tool but anyway <laughs> there we go <laughs> there is stupid little fucking tinfoil star for doing maths well piss off (laughs) Um, (laughs) Dan. where can people find you online and all the brilliant shows you are involved in my friend
1: You can find me on Twitter, at DanGriffin21, usually tweeting about wrestling that's a minimum six weeks out of date or movies that are 25 years out of date. And you can hear me on Unbooking the Territory, where we're looking at the first and last of professional wrestling with my good buddy, UTT, Rob. Uh, And we also have a side project called Unbooking the Tankatory, where we look at the life and times, the trials and tribulations, the ups and downs of legitimately the hardest man that ever lived, Mr. David Tank Abbott.
0: Brilliant stuff, mate. Brilliant stuff. Uh, Anything I'm involved in, you can find on the network that carries this show, SJP World Media, and you can follow that on Twitter and Facebook at SJP World Media. Go and check out a follow, a like, uh, subscribe on all your podcast players as well. Check out the merch as well. Check out our merch store online. The link is on our Twitter, on our Facebook, and will be in the episode notes for this particular podcast. People buying merch, whether it's hoodies t-shirts mugs stickers whatever uh it, it, it helps fund the network and it helps helps us make and produce these shows for you so it's always hugely appreciated when people do that uh, but most importantly you can follow this show itself on facebook and twitter that's at the doctor who pod that's at the d-r-w-h-o-p-o-d at the doctor who pod looking forward to peter davidson next week mate i like peter davidson it's good stuff
1: yeah, I've liked everything that we've seen of uh, Peter Davidson so far. I think I can't remember any stinkers off the top of my head. Uh, so yeah, let's uh, let's get into it. Yeah, brilliant stuff.
0: Awesome. I will speak to you next week, Dan, and to everyone else as always. Thank you for listening. Still can't believe
1: you told me I'm not allowed to make friends with guests anymore. You prick.
0: see now you've said that even though we've actually ended the show now you've said that you might as well explain that because I want it's not going to make sense <laughs> is it it's going to make no sense at all to anyone
1: <laughs> if, if you've listened to the AB episode the episode with AB we um, that, that recording ended up taking three and a half hours because me and AB wouldn't stop making dirty jokes yeah pretty much right and it gave side a bit of an editing job for which AB has yeah. apologised well yeah. you, know, you you knew what you were getting into when you when you married me when you brought me on board with the podcast <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> so now now, is going to spread vicious rumours And disinformation about me uh, Before people come on the show
0: Yes, I, I was editing that episode last night And at the time of recording It was last night And I, I whatsapped Dan and said He's not allowed to make friends with guests anymore Because they talk too much So I'm going to tell people nasty things about him So they won't want to talk to him <laughs> yeah. Well, you know Up yours There we go there we go aye okay mate Peter Davison next week and I will speak to you then bud yep catch in a bit and everyone else as always thank you for listening feeling i'm actually going to take this a little bit this
1: one a little bit more seriously than you are maybe not much (laughs) oh dear okay are you ready (sighs) i was born ready motherfucker (laughs) brilliant (laughs) i don't know why a line from from blade three popped into my head then but it did
0: it would surprise you not at all to know that i've never seen that
1: uh, that might actually make it onto Unlocking the Territory because it's got Triple H in it.
0: Oh, hang on. I have seen that.
1: Yeah, and Ryan Reynolds doing his first like Deadpool audition.
0: <laughs> uh, I have seen that, yeah. That's the one with um, Wesley Snipes as a vampire killer. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah. The first two Blade films were mint. Yeah, I've seen the first one. I don't think I've seen the second one, though. Oh, it's got the, it's got the what? It's the
1: ones with the vampires where they're mutated and the, the chin splits in half and they've got this big fucking weird like, sucker spiky tongue thing that latches onto the neck.
0: Sounds amazing. <laughs> and then, to be fair,
1: the eleventh we could record out of order. And we could just do Power of the Doctor on the eleventh, on the twelfth if you wanted,
0: just to make sure we've got it in the can. Twelve probably ain't gonna work, dude. It's my birthday. So, so. <laughs> <laughs> now, to be fair, I probably could. United Leeds is on. No, uh, no, it's uh, no, it's fine.
1: Um, we might have to, we might have to chuck in a, a midweek recording then because yeah, that weekend of the the twenty fifth and twenty
0: sixth, the twenty fourth is my dad's sixtieth. Okay, uh, and we're going away. Okay, well, like I said, if we could fit it around United Leeds and then anything that Shia wants to do, I don't think we've got any plans to be honest. Because I'm going out the night before, so it should be, <laughs> be a laugh. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's it's actually not for my birthday. It's a works do. They're um taking us all bowling them for something to eat. So last time we had a works do, it, it was just fucking messy as fuck. It was just an absolute write off. Yeah, it was just all the technicians were just running around the place with their shirts off, and Jesus. I just d- I discovered that I don't like Sambuca at all. And <laughs> <laughs> as it came, as it spewed forth down your shirt. I threw up the following morning. I, yeah, I sat there, and I, I had breakfast with Shah. We went downstairs in the hotel, and um, we're having breakfast. Again, paid for by the company, which is amazing. They're, they're, they're so good to us. like. And um, yeah. I kept saying to Shah, I don't feel great, you know? <laughs> And she went, I'm just going to go off and get a coffee. And I went, okay. So she went off to like the counter to get a coffee. And she tells the story is that she came back and I just wasn't there anymore. <laughs> my food was still there. And her food what was, was still it? there. My gra-
1: my gra- this is a perfect description. I just remembered one of my granddad's old euphemisms for throwing up. He's like, you were in the
0: toilet calling for Huey. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I basically thought, I, I sat down and I'm like, I'm going to be sick. It might as well be now. So I stood up, walked to the reception and said, excuse me, where are the toilets? <laughs> and they said, over there. So I walked into the <laughs> toilets in the Hilton, uh, walked over to the privy, shut the door, knelt down, lifted the lid up and went, and excuse, me, where, excuse me, where are the <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> and then I went back to the hotel room uh, to have a shower and get changed and whatnot. Sharon, I text Sharon to say, I'll meet you back at the room because I'd literally just ditched her at breakfast. She would, she'd gone to get a coffee, come back, and the table was empty. And, <laughs> and uh, she said she came back upstairs to our to our room, opened the door, and all she could smell was Sambuca. Like, it was just overpowering, apparently. And then I was a perfect uh, passenger in the car because I slept all the way home.
1: <laughs> a terrible co-pilot.
0: How am I married? <laughs>
1: oh. You felt you really did find one in a million.
0: Yes, I did, mate. I did. The fact that she doesn't drink herself, so she does the driving is is even better. But there we go.